Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with Monkey Tennis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Elin, what are you doing listening to part two of our Knowing Me, Knowing Your Live special from the Prince Charles Cinema in London's Leicester Square last month before you've listened to part one? <sighs> oh, you have listened to part one. Oh, that's absolutely fine then. If you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you go and listen to that first. Otherwise, you might not know what's going on in part two. And remember, next week we'll be back with the last in the current series of Monkey Tennis with our live interview with Simon Greenall. Simon was an amazing sport. He was really funny. Um, so you won't want to miss that. So make sure you come back next week. And now on with part two. Monkey Tennis. It's knowing me, knowing you with Alan Partridge. And Christ. Monkey Tennis. Please, please don't take my chat away from me. The crackers on fire above the pool! Monkey Tennis. My house is open, my mock-up house. Monkey Tennis. That is, that is a very nice action. Oh, pardon. Monkey Tennis. 300k. 300k I will take you to Sky. Three years ago, hobnobs were probably the number one biscuit. A ho, ho, ho! Monkey Tennis. So there you go. That's uh, Nick sponsored by the Norwich Tourist Board. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. more uh, more product placement for them. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, visual gags in the uh, in the Christmas in, in Norwich VT. Oh, firstly, it's so good. It's firstly, so good. It, it, presumably, it's been filmed nowhere near Christmas. In that he's in tiny shorts, <laughs> running, <laughs> running around, seemingly not getting that cold. Um, yeah. And there's also the bit where he talks about North Cathedral is breathtaking, uh, and the shot shows it literally <laughs> covered in scaffolding, <laughs> like barely any of it's visible. It's yeah. So so the the, the VT. So obviously introduced 
uses Norwich City mustard and shoes, and then you've got the uh, visuals of Norwich Market Square, which I think I think are featured in Alan stuff three times probably. So you've got this show, you've got Alpha Papa obviously, and the Welcome to the Place yep. of My Life as well. So I mean, it makes sense. It's featured yep. quite a lot, but I. The jogging around the cloisters, I think, is amazing. That's one of my favourite bits. <laughs> and it's particularly the line, 300k, 300k, we take it to sky. Brilliant. Yeah. And you'll notice that, that 300k figure does come back later in the it episode. Yes. It's almost like that's the only figure Alan has to reference. He's yeah. plucking things out of the air. It's yeah. mathematically sound. Uh, also, one of my favourite quotes from the whole episode uh, is his voiceover. And he says, six fires were beheaded on this site, <laughs> which is now a Dorothy Perkins. <laughs> yes. So they, um, they, and they try and recreate the feeling of uh, the historic battle <laughs> in Norwich uh, by just adding on some kind of mumbled sound effects and just zooming the camera yeah, in and shaking the camera about. Shaky cam footage of Next and Radio Rentals. I've got uh, I've got three semi-interesting Radio Rentals facts, if you want them. <laughs> oh, Only if they're semi-interesting. Yeah, I don't want fully interesting. Right, well, yeah. they're definitely not fully interesting. <laughs> well, One, fun. it still exists in Australia. Two, it peaked with 500 stores and 2 million customers. That's more than Waitrose and roughly equivalent to Argos. Uh, three, it merged into Box Clever and went bust in 2003. <laughs> That's the end of the Radio Rentals Aww. section of the evening. Uh, see, I... I I just love this kind of just really reminds me very much of the mid 90s because obviously with radio rentals for those that might be too young to remember this is literally yeah there we go Tom Stab is I too young to remember that at all. I don't know if that's true but obviously it sounds mad to say it now but people used to rent the TVs so their, 30, their 36 inch TVs they would rent and pay per month or whatever Madness. Um, so what me and my friends at school used to do is one of my friends had a one of those remote control watches so you could basically turn the volume up on TVs so you could just make it find the right signal oh, for I it I smell mischief brewing yeah, so well basically that's what we did on the walk home just walk past radio rentals turn it full volume on TV and run yeah, away and get out and we got her uh, taken to headmaster for that, so uh, we got busted. A simpler, happier time. Yeah, um, better days. Yeah. Uh, you get a quick glimpse of uh, Alan's car. As we know, uh, Steve Coogan is a, a, an auto enthusiast, so we always like to look at the cars that he used. Um, I put the reg into We Buy Any Car. It's a Rover bought in 1994. It's now valued at £50. Pounds. Ooh, Brilliant. Should have bought that. We'd buy. together. Uh, and obviously there's, the, there's a, a, an, an extra Rover joke there. There's excessive shots of his Rover Vitesse as he uh, Yes, it's, al- it's almost like an advert, isn't it? Yeah. got the big clothing uh, yeah. and everything. Uh, and I just made a note that the outfit he wears at hospital, which you can kind of see there, is yep. uh, it's brilliant. You've got a nice clash of colours there. You've got some red, some green, some yellow, some grey. It's terrible, but it's also bang on for 1995. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Important fact from the commentary about his uh, visit to the local hospital to uh, drop off some second-hand toys uh, is that all of those children are genuinely sick. Yeah. True facts. Ooh, that's not gone down very well, that. <laughs> no. Not awful. We didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the balloons with his face on, which is a nice little touch. And I did note as well, um, he when he turns up with a box full of toys, um, a lot of the toys are just falling out of the box, and he just described them to the children as they're shop-soiled as well. So <laughs> they're yeah. substandard yeah. goods. A reference that comes back in, uh, obviously, in the uh, chocolate oranges in Iron Man and Poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, none of the kids say they've heard of him, which he finds a bit rude. Mm. And basically... He's and, got, and says to them. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, 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 a bit yeah, rude, actually. Rude. Um, and basically what transpires is because they've got no understanding of TV budgets he's got nothing to talk to them about yeah. <laughs> he's I talking a lot about he starts telling yeah, he's, he says that um, they, they, they had the set build for the mock-up of his house was 280k now I've spoken to somebody that actually worked on the production of this TV show more on that later but they said the maximum you'd, you'd probably spend about 60 to 80k building a set like that so yeah again Alan is uh, embellishing the figures there is it, is it a tax fiddle do you think and is this why in later years you find him throwing a shoebox of receipts off a ferry great theory (laughs) Ah, explains a lot explains a lot 
Could be it, could be it. Um, yeah, he says that his budget is 280k for the set, um, and I wondered if that is perhaps why you see him negotiating while he's running through the cloisters earlier on. For the 300k. For the 300k. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Should we move on to uh, Tandy? Yes, and Alan unwinding. There's nothing relaxed. Even if you had the shop to yourself, I don't believe that you can unwind in Tandy. Even <laughs> if I was in the Apple Store on my own, I wouldn't be relaxing in there. I'd just be walking around in circles. Well, that's because you'd be too scared because you have to decide what iPhone you want, so you wouldn't be able to make the decision. I've decided. It's no new iPhone. It's, okay, it's right. not happening. Also, though. remember, this is Alan. He wants as little interaction with the general public as possible. Yes. And he wants to feel like a, an he wants, he wants to be adored by the general public, yeah. but equally he doesn't want to have to speak to them in interaction I think with that's them in any way. I think that's why even the shop staff have to basically stand in an awkward line yeah. until he needs yes. someone to carry goods around the store for him. And as we uh, have on the screen uh, there. No, a note from the commentary, genuine Tandy staff as well. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that's just saving money. They don't have to employ extras. And I just no. stay yeah. back for two hours and again, do this. Again, I feel like they've done an extremely good job as lay people rather than actors because the looks on their faces it really does look like they've been kept back unexpectedly all desperate <laughs> to get home to their families speaking of looks on faces there's one on Alan there yeah, that is brilliant that, that, is, that is so good he literally um, hands his like coat and gloves to the staff and yeah, yeah. like you can hold that and then and then he gives them his uh, pile of purchases did everybody did anybody make a note of what Alan's buying but in Tandy there is do. one there's one that really stood out for me I don't know if you guys agree but he's buying a metal detector uh, <laughs> not any old metal detector a treasure finder a treasure finder <laughs> to use the correct the name right um, so he's buying. So it looks to me like Alan here is buying two vintage replica phones, a metal detector called a treasure finder. Uh, oh, the travel master, which is a 90s sat nav, which is massive. <laughs> that's uh, that's that bit's cut from the Netflix version. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's watch on the DVD. It's yeah. there. Um, and also six boxes of floppy disks and later six boxes of blank VHS tapes. It's literally a grave graveyard of redundant tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a continuity error here as well. Uh, you see the manager carrying the vintage telephone around for him, but then in the next shot, he's picking it up for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I think it cuts back and forth because I think the VHS tapes appear and disappear a few times as well. Oh, okay. yeah. Do we reckon these are presents for other people or just for him? No, no. <laughs> absolutely for him, aren't they? Okay. I don't know, but I can imagine Alan gifting a box of floppy disks going, there you go, enjoy that. <laughs> here you go. My, my, my question yeah. to you would be... Uh, oh, I forgot to get something for Denise. Given, given the ambivalence towards him by, uh, by Fernando and Denise and the fact that Carol's just left him, who would the presents be for? Even better point. <laughs> Good question. All, all that storage for yourself, I'd say. Just yeah. keep using those floppy disks. Yep. Sure. There we go. Um, and also just one of my favourite lines in this Tandy section where he's playing with the stereo going, nice action, nice action. I've got one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut back to his house, which looks a little like Denton Abbey. Uh, it does a little bit. Yeah. Isle, but uh, it's not like, but it does look similar. But what I did enjoy is you can kind of see through the uh, through the wind uh, through the windows by the door when he goes when he goes into the house. You can see the interior of that house has no similarities to the mock-up house <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, that is also not on the uh, Netflix version, so yeah, Tom, no, and no. I, Tom and I are not familiar with it, so no. you guys can The bit where it. he sort of oddly retreats into his own home and, oh, and then he's like gets peeking out around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't come in my house, it's private, but we, you will see me later in the mock-up. <laughs> Keen to stress. Yeah. Uh, so back in the studio, it's mulled wine and biscuits time, yes. uh, but the mince pies seem to be off. <laughs> and yeah. Mary's eating them too loud. Uh, the, yeah. co the commentary told me that that is actually uh, something that happened. Uh, Rebecca Front uh, was, had to go from a re another rehearsal straight to um, rehearsals for this, and had been uh, and basically didn't have any time to, to have lunch. The only thing that was there when she arrived was Boaster biscuits. So uh, she was chowing down on them. Put Steve Coogan off some improv that he was doing, and basically <laughs> said, "Please, can you stop eating so loud?" And then they well, worked that into the show. And also, they do have a buttery swagger, so why wouldn't you want them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so he goes on to uh, chat to the hostesses about hobnobs and boasters. So he's just filling time here. He's idly chatting. 
Uh, it's terrible television by this point. Don't look at us. Yeah, this isn't in the Netflix this version. The Netflix version. <laughs> nothing on this. I'll just talk to Adam. Yeah. So, um, talk about ourselves. So, um, yeah, he talks about that. Uh, he says something like, three years ago, the Hobnob was the number one biscuit in the UK. <laughs> so I have done a bit of internet research oh, here. Oh, so, so have I. <laughs> Well, according to a 2016 survey, the most popular biscuit in the UK was the chocolate digestive. Oh, I had the same survey. That's quite boring and disappointing, isn't chocolate it? Chocolate Hobnob second place. Uh, so, yeah, unlike Alan says, in the oatmeal kingdom, Hobnobs maybe don't rule the biscuit roost. <laughs> um, and yeah, obviously with, with this kind of filling time and the chit chat with the hostesses, you can tell he's trying to hit on them as well. Um, he says the, he says to one of them, you're doing very well, I've been watching you. <laughs> very Ooh, creepy. Uh, yeah. Quite a what? sinister... Fill a bit onto yeah. it. But then he says, uh, it's time for his star guest, apart from Mick Hucknall. That's, That's contractual. contractual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at this point, before we go into his star guest, apart from Nick, Mick Hucknall, should we, uh, would you like some Mick Hucknall fact bombs? Oh, please. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, I think go why on. not? Go I mean, on. why wouldn't we want to? Uh, well, actually, what we'll do, let's set a bit of context here. So, in I Partridge, uh, when Alan writes about Hucknall uh, coming on the show, uh, he refers to his sexy trio of models called the Christmas Cracker, and Mick Hucknall had agreed to perform because he was, in, he was, in his words, trying to bang one of them. <laughs> uh, and then, so I spoke to Sam Taylor, who was the production coordinator on this show, so basically running all the kind of admin duties for the production team to make it all happen. So I asked her if she had any kind of like key memories or anything from Ooh. the show. Um, well, I, d- I just I'd really enjoyed this. So I was worried you were going to say you asked her if Mick Hucknall was trying to bang everyone. <laughs> I mean, he might have been, but we didn't we didn't go down that route. But she, d- she just said. So I think the way it transpired, Hucknall being on the show was uh, Coogan asked him directly because they were friends from kind of the Manchester scene. Uh, but Hucknall was just a massive fan of Alan as oh. well, because obviously by this point Alan has been on TV quite a bit and it's been been a success. That's in real life, not in Alan's universe, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, apparently uh, Hucknall arrived early to watch the entire taping with an entourage which was possibly members of Simply Red but she wasn't sure on that detail. <laughs> no one knows who um, the entourage. You know, in a, in a no- well, very good point. I mean, I've got no idea. You wouldn't know. But in a normal TV recording, uh, if you're doing the music performance at the end, you wouldn't be there watching the entire show. You'd be there for your sound check earlier then you'd bugger off and come back a few hours later He's just, just a do your bit. But he came down, His watched the entire fan. show and uh, they were all loving uh, the Fanny Thomas ooh pardon line. Apparently they spent the entire day just quoting that the whole time, laughing their heads off with what <laughs> Sam said. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. Um, so back to the fact bombs on Hucknall because uh, some quite interesting stuff here. So I'm going to I'm gonna drop five facts for you. Um, so Hucknall claims to have bedded over 3,000 women, although it's worth saying that is a claim, not a fact. <laughs> Give you that Allegedly. One. It's yeah. a um, fact that he's claimed it. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Um, Simply Red's Stars album was the best-selling record in the UK in 1991 and 1992. Wow. Uh, no justice. <laughs> I would have thought you quite like Simply Red, Nick. No, be real. I'm, I'm shocked considering yeah, your normal well, music taste. your music taste. Um, Simply Red have sold over 50 million albums. Uh, Mick Hucknall appeared on Question Time in 2014. I saw that one, genuinely. Was it a good show? Yeah, that's right. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, and uh, also, possibly most bizarrely, Pele is godfather to his children. Yep, that is true. I was Fact. at I, yeah, Fact. I was at a charity fundraising dinner where I witnessed the guest of honour was Pele. I witnessed Mick Hucknall serenading Pele. Yeah, he sang two songs to him. It what were the really, songs? Oh God, I can't remember. I was cringing in my seat. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. Yeah. Well, on to the star guest, apart from Hucknall, contractual. Yeah, I mean, um, may- maybe we'll come back to Hucknall later, but for now we'll 
crack on, yeah. There's, there's so much more to say. Um, two very lovely golfers, uh, his, but his introduction to uh, Liz and Gordon Heron strongly implies that the only reason a man would be a caddy to a woman is that he's wheelchair-bound, which is a <laughs> classic yeah. and awful, Alan. Uh, so here they are. Um, Marber, Patrick Marble was originally very worried about playing a disabled man uh, and a very uppity disabled lobby, lobby, in his words, got in touch asking why it couldn't have been a disabled actor. Uh, the reason given was that originally there was going to be some uh, archive footage of him playing golf as a, a, an ah. able-bodied man. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, Dune was wearing her own dress in this because she was actually pregnant, which they worked into the scene with, with Liz revealing her pregnancy. Yeah, although I think, did they send a commentary? You can't really tell anyway. It's not immediately obvious on no. anything that she's pregnant, so they could have just not bothered. Anyway, um, uh, oh. I, well, my, my, main, my main note for this was, so he, he introduces Liz and Gordon as his star guest. That bit of a rubbish star guest. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah, I mean, especially considering Mick Hucknall was in the studio. Get him to do a chat. <laughs> yeah, he sold 50 million records. Uh, and I do think, generally speaking, this section goes on for quite a while. And yes. I, No Me Knowing You is absolutely brilliant, but I, I think this could have done with some of the... Bear in mind, they edited out some of the good stuff in the Netflix, Netflix version. <laughs> trim, trim down this section, I'd say. Yeah, I would say this is my uh, least favourite part of the show. But anyway, loads more notes to get through on it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop you. I, I've got a short note on naming conventions here. So Liz Heron was uh, was actually the name of uh, a real friend of Rebecca Fronts, who was apparently mortified. Um, <laughs> and uh, in uh, Know Me Knowing You, you have the uh, the two gay co-presenters of the show that usurps Know Me Knowing You. Uh, and Bridie McMahon, yeah. that is a name uh, from someone at the National Library because Patrick Marber had just joined it and, and stole it wholesale. <laughs> <off the name. laughs> uh, so you have, um, you've got a few repeated references uh, in this interview section as well. So it uh, there's a second reference to a centipede, which I thought, is that kind of like lazy writing or have they put that in, is it Alan's character? He's got centipedes on the mind I for think some he reason. I think he gets caught up on little yeah, facts just, he's been told yeah. and I, I think it's entirely yeah. within character for him to have, he'll have read a book about centipedes yeah. that morning. Or yeah, something so like Glenn's everything. fingers are like centipedes, they're like centipedes. Um, and also God is a gas, again. He, uh, we go, we <laughs> Not get like Calagas though. Not yeah. like Calagas. Although now he's talking about it as if that is a stone That's cold a fact. fact. <laughs> Than just that is another fact punch. He yeah. was forced to come up with on the spot. Um, <laughs> they mentioned that uh, that Liz won the Colgate Cup and was la- named Lady Sports Person of the Year by the readers of She Magazine. I wasn't entirely familiar with She Magazine, so I did a little bit of digging. Uh, it did exist for 56 years until uh, wow. 2011. Uh, there's an article in The Economist about the submissions that they used to get, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, so I'll just quote from it now. The deal was, if we accepted your manuscript, you gave us permission to change anything but the facts. Contributors were sent a proof before publication to check for errors that might have crept in. They sometimes felt that our editing had ruined a unique style. One author was so upset by minor changes to an otherwise excellent piece on his relationship with a celebrity that he demanded his name be taken off it. I had to point out there wasn't much point in our removing his name from a memoir headlined, I am Barry Norman's brother. That is brilliant. Mm. I wondered where you were going with that, <laughs> yeah, and that was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad the ramble was worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what else do we do? Uh, we get a bit of... Uh, Alan goes on to check whether Dr. Hook is a real doctor, which uh, gets revealed. <laughs> yeah, at the which end. we do find GP. out. Spoiler yes, not just yet, but we do find out. We do find we do out. Find a question to the group, who is your favourite doctor that's not a real doctor? Ooh. Any suggestions? Uh, Dr. Dre for me, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I can't think of any other. Gillian McKeith. Gillian McKeith is a great. She's a very shout. good fictional doctor. I like what you've done there. Yeah. It's Fox. It's Dre. It's McKeith. Doctor Fox. Yeah. Who the could big forget? Three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, there's a uh, there's a lovely bit uh, where uh, Alan and uh, Gordon are sort of sharing a creeping sense of Liz's personality washing over them as she becomes yeah. slightly. They irritating. share. A, they kind of share a moment, don't they? Yeah. Looking at each really other. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. even before that, you can see Alan is visibly bored when Liz is talking. But yeah. I think that is partly just. He's just a bit sexist sometimes and things which, like this as well. Which goes against what happens later. Like, Gordon very quickly turns on Alan, but here yeah. they're quite pally. They're kind of on each yeah. other's side. Oh, yeah. Well, well, so Liz has basically yeah. got to the end of a passage where she's been very cheerily incorrect about almost everything. With her lovely bird laugh. <laughs> yes. And so Alan just says to Gordon, Gordon, do you get out much? And he uh, wearily replies, when, when I can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then later he also refers to, uh, you're married to Liz. There's no escaping that. <laughs> quite a nice. So, yeah, and he refers to her lovely bird laugh. And it's a bit of a common trait of him complimenting something that's clearly winding him up. He doesn't think it's lovely. He hates it. That's the truth of the matter. Uh, I had a couple of notes about the paintings that you can see behind mm-hmm. him here as well. Um, so the portrait of Alan that Alan says is but Alan says is painted by David Morton. There actually is a real English painter called David Morton, but I don't think it'd be the same guy because the David Morton I could find via the internet, his work is mostly abstract. Uh, his website says he began to paint in a non-realistic style in 1970 after studying the works of the surrealists. So I don't think that would tie in with the portrait no. of Alan there. The other, uh, the other painting, though, <laughs> bizarrely, this does not get referenced in the TV show whatsoever, but um, for those of you listening you go and watch the show and you'll see what we're talking about. I'd say it's basically a depiction of a lady part. That's uh, that's how they describe it in their commentary. Yep. Um, but um, it's very weird that it's... I, I think, do they say in the commentary that there was supposed to be reference? There was going to be cut? a bit that was cut. Um, the idea is, according to the commentary, is that it's something that Denise did, which I, th- I think yep. I think daughter-father obligation is perhaps why Alan has hung it up in his mock-up house, uh, <laughs> yeah. as well as his, perhaps his real home. I'd or maybe he's even made a concession to her, saying, well, maybe not in the real house, but... Uh, in, the, in the mock-up. It's going to be on the mock-up, in the mock-up. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, Remember as well that this is a family show. Alan has stressed that. In this section, he goes on to talk about how he's known as Randy Gordon, that he's called Chairman Mao, and then Alan compares him to a Dalek because he can't get upstairs. <laughs> like, <laughs> all the while framed by an explicit painting of a vagina. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keep it light. Keep it light. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my, the, I, I, the only other note I've really had is I just got a bit bored about halfway through this chat. I just think the section goes on too long. And yeah, just, I'd agree. Just him yeah. being a bit obnoxious and crass to a guest with a disability was just a bit a bit too much of an easy gag almost the only other yeah. bit I, I kind of um, wanted to mention was uh, he talks about uh, Gordon um, as one of the many heroic disabled people and goes on to list Lord Nelson Napoleon Ironside Daniel Day-Lewis Captain Hook and Dave Allen <laughs> um, some genuine some fictitious uh, but do we know what um, uh, what they were afflicted with what their disability was Lord, Lord Nelson uh, I kept. I had a rough note of some of these. Did his I arm think, come I off? I think you might have to. Uh... Did his arm come off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just no. fell off, mate. No, he was blind in one eye. Uh, Napoleon. I wasn't sure about this one. I had to do uh, quite a bit of digging, but short. I don't think that counts, does it? I thought it was something to do with his legs as well, but uh, it, it's not. He had uh, epilepsy. Uh, Ironside. <laughs> Because he was was tragically fictitious? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's in a wheelchair because he took a bullet from a sniper. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I wasn't sure, to be honest, unless anyone knows. Uh, My left foot. Yeah, the... Ah, <laughs> it's all coming together. No, at least there he's go. got some notes yeah. to give yeah, him his yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's done not, something. It's nice that Nick can learn from you guys as well as the <laughs> other way around. Yeah, giving something back. Uh, Captain Hook. No hand. Lost a hand. No hand. Hook yes, hand. It's, it's no hand. Uh, and Dave Allen. I um, don't know that one. I think I, I presumed it was the Irish comedian who was missing the yes. very top of one finger. I think. Uh, yeah, I think it might oh. just be more than the top. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
And that concludes (laughs) Name My Disability. So he says, he says to Gordon Heron, in, in, in a sense, you were the victim of a leg thief, which is a very yeah. odd, way, odd way of putting it. Um, does he have much to say about this chat in the iPartridge book as well, I think? Uh, the only difference in the audiobook and the physical book, uh, in the book, Gordon is, referred to, is described as a Czech, a plegic, so Alan has no <laughs> idea what is actually wrong with him. He never checked it. And in yep. the audiobook, it says paraplegic. The only thing, the fact he's been victim of a leg thief, I did some digging on uh, what would happen if you actually did get struck by lightning. Um, ah, okay. so, uh, so only one in ten Americans, this is American facts, obviously, have died from being struck by lightning in the three decades between 1981 and 2010. You will likely lose consciousness from anywhere for a few minutes to a few years. You could suffer brain damage resulting in short-term loss, memory loss or amnesia. Long-term issues include personality changes, learning disabilities, sleep disorders and seizures. So I would say that Gordon got off lightly. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> uh, contrary to what you guys said about, about the length of this scene, there is one bit in this that is uh, very fanciful and it kind of... I'm, I simultaneously thought, I don't understand how this is, ha, has appeared, but also was absolutely delighted by it. And it's basically the conversation that Alan has with Gordon about his hobby of drawing maps. <laughs> in, in his mind. That are primarily yeah. of fictitious places and in his head. And then Alan, you know, to be fair, Alan is, is, uh, has a real rapport going here. So he says, oh, you know, I'd love to walk around in your head. I'm sure it's very picturesque. And then Gordon stiffens and goes, well, you can't, it's private. So, uh, yeah. It's kind of a bit weird because I just—it's not that funny. That like, it's not a great payoff to I that whole chat. I, 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 I thought the sort of the, the painting of the uh, character is basically—I um, I think it's quite relevant, and I think it's—it's it's, it's a little more subtle than some of the other gags. But I, I think they—they paint him as a well-rounded yeah. character, and I think it's maybe there's an implication that being struck by lightning has sort of affected him a bit behaviourally <laughs> as well. Maybe yeah. this is getting too deep, hey, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. maybe that's maybe the that's the joke. Well, I think we should move on to Christmas crackers. What do you think about that? Let's I do it. There it. There he is. That, uh, that cracker is the about the length of a small Chinese restaurant. That's uh, Alan's words. I love mine. the metric that he yeah. uses. Yeah. Well, see, I thought that was such a surreal reference point. I was like, my money's on that being a line from Amanda Unici, but apparently that was a line written by Patrick Marber. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the cracker's five foot high by 23 feet long. Apparently. Yes. Did anybody check whether this was the biggest cracker in the world? Is there a record anywhere? <laughs> I did. Of, of course, someone did. <laughs> uh, the world's longest Christmas cracker measured 63.1 meters in length and four meters high, so a bit bigger than that one. Um, the cracker contained balloons, toys, hat, and a joke, and the cracker was pulled How by... hat, singular. <laughs> hat, singular. It was a massive hat. <laughs> yeah. And, like was Pope's pulled, hat. and was pulled by the parents and children at lay school in Buckinghamshire and went bang. Those are the actual <laughs> words from the Guinness... You'd Book. want it to go bang, wouldn't you? Yeah. Those um, are the actual words from the Guinness... Was that a requirement? That must have been a requirement. What, that it, it went bang? bang? That yeah. it went bang, yeah. Otherwise yeah. it doesn't count. You know what, though? Sod all that. I think what everyone's probably thinking is, what's the biggest cracker we were able to find with minimal internet research? Would Shall you I like to it? know the answer? Uh, yes. Adam, reveal the cracker. Drum roll, please. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All 75 centimetres of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're listening to the episode and you're not in the room with us, all I can say is it is colossal and impressive. It's taken, <laughs> it's taken 16 of us to wheel we, it out we on eight trolleys. We struggled to get it in the room. And <laughs> yeah. uh, much like Alan's cracker has his face on it, our faces are also on the cracker. I don't know if you guys can all see that in the room here. Yep. Um, but you know what? We're not going to pull that now. We're going to save that for later because what we thought we'd do instead, um, there are 100 crackers around the room. So those of you that have a cracker, if you can prepare, and we're going to do a mass cracker pool. We're going to break the Guinness World Record for crackers pulled in this room tonight. Yeah, biggest cracker pool on a po- on a podcast about Alan Partridge to An ever be recorded. Friends with your neighbours. Yeah. We have got members um, of the Guinness Book of Records in the room to validate this. So, right, has everybody got their crackers ready? 
Some yes, some no. <laughs> right. Okay. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Three, two, one, pull your crackers. Oh, oh yeah. Loved it. God. That sounded great. Damn, oh. that was satisfying. Oh. 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 Bit of a delay. So please, please feel free to put your hats on. <laughs> yeah, get in the if you want to get spirit. festive, um, save the jokes yeah. for later, but put the hat on. Do we like with that? Very glad that none of them have caught on fire. <laughs> yes. Uh, whereas with Alan's own cracker, obviously, uh, it's smoking before the cracker pull even starts yep, as well. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and also, the, uh, the cracker they used in this episode did actually catch on fire. Did really? it? Genuine. Yeah, it did, it did catch on fire in rehearsal. Uh. Bloody White City Pyrotechnics, you can't trust them <laughs> with anything. Interesting that I thought, so was this um, product placement of uh, White City Pyrotechnics, or were they for some reason exempt? Well, it doesn't exist, does it? It's not real. No. I think he was just trying to... Uh, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> Very good. Um, are we ready to move on to breakfast bar chat? Yes, yes. let's do it. Oh, hang on, no. I think we need to oh. talk about the cracker joke, please. Uh, okay. Alan, Alan trying to pull it back from the last minute at yet more product placement for Rover as he knows he's in trouble. Uh, so, yes. uh, so Santa's back and uh, asks Tony Hares, what make of cargoes? Woof, woof. Tony Hares is way ahead. You can also see... Uh, when you, on, you can on, see it through, can't on you? On screen, yeah. you can see that it, the answer is a Rover. And then uh, Tony Hares, is it a Rover? <laughs> Alan, desperate. Help me out, mate. And then Santa's obviously like, no, it's a, this is some serious quick thinking from Santa. And going against all of his morals as a, a Rover company man, no, it's a Vauxhall Labrador. <laughs> Fair play that to Mike. Well-known car. Fair yeah. play to him. So, yes, breakfast Breakfast bar, bar chat. chat. Uh, where basically everybody gangs up on Alan to pay for the uh, dialysis machine that was uh, was due to be donated if they broke the world record, which they obviously didn't. Yeah, so the dialysis machi- machine cost 20k. Tony Hayes says the show cost 300k. Uh, also, the point we know that Alan lying about the set bill being 280, which yeah. would only leave 20k left for everything else. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that's true. Um, so... I realise Gordon says to Alan, you could have got 14 dialysis machines instead of making this programme. The maths are wrong. You could actually have got 15. Ah. Minor point, but there we go. But it, it, it is... 
that the joke? Is that the joke? I mean, we'll never know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, and then I'd love the bit where Alan says to Tony Hares, I think if you ask the British public whether they would prefer 14 kidney dialysis machines or an Alan Partridge Christmas special, the answer would be pretty unanimous, wouldn't it, Tony? Tony responds, yes, I think it would. <laughs> It's a lovely bit. Uh, also in this section, you can see there are a few choir boys and stuff behind the breakfast bar that never actually made it onto screen. Um, so I think we'll kind of get onto that with the 12 Days of Christmas bit. Yep. But I yes. think genuinely, yep. lots of extras that were planned to actually come out and in real life, as happen. well as in the show, yeah. it didn't happen. They do yeah. say in the commentary, a lot of kids were genuinely upset because they thought they were <laughs> going to be on telly and then they said And they no, probably spent no the whole afternoon in the TV studio for nothing. Yeah, yeah. life imitating art there a little bit. Um, so are we on to the 12 Days of Christmas or have you got more on the Breakfast Bar chat? I'm ready to talk about 12 Days of Christmas. Oh, <laughs> ignore that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for those listening, nothing went wrong with the screens there. Everything is fine. Jed. Um, oh, there's quite a bit of punching at this point, isn't there? No, you're punching oh, we up later, later on. Yeah, yeah. On. We've got to do the 12 Days of Christmas first, which gets quite quickly abandoned, to be honest. He cuts straight to the song, and I wondered what the cue was, because well, the, in the run-up to that, he's yeah. literally just wandering around chatting about nothing, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't just, in the script. <laughs> straight into the pre-recorded uh, vocal, it's hilarious. And he only gets uh, as far as the fourth day of Christmas, so he only gets as far as four calling birds, which I thought was a bit of a shame, because we all know five gold rings is the best bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the cracker hasn't been moved, so you've got turtle doves that can't land and are perilously above us. Just uh, flapping aimlessly. Yeah. <laughs> Although Alan, Alan does say, keep flapping, it looks good. <laughs> uh, one of the turtle doves seems to be laughing as if she knows the whole thing's not real. She's uh, broken, broken the, the fourth wall there a little bit. Um, and yeah, quite a few rounds of people were cut. Lots of children upset backstage that never made it onto Although set. Alan does say there at this go. point, the show's still going well, I believe that. <laughs> uh, as long as he believes it, then it's fine. Armando said on the commentary, was that bit funny or was it just tragic? To which the answer is... Both, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to Fanny Thomas. Yes, I think yep. so. Yep. Or Peter Willis. Yeah. Uh, he's he's uh, Alan's really tiring of uh, Fanny's innuendo and uh, challenges her, saying, "What does your mother think of you?" Very proud. Um, the innuendo ramps up until Alan cracks. And I thought, so uh, then obviously Fanny removes the wig and is like, this is Peter. thought it's a bit like uh, the moment with uh, Alan Ford in Naomi Knowing You. Yeah. The, uh, Do you want to get sucked in? Kind of, yeah. Do you want to get sucked in, son? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did, did anybody research Peter Willis? Any Peter Willises of note that we should know about? Just, just generally the name Peter Willis? Yeah. No, Thank no, you. but okay. I do have a bit of a, I do have a note on what they say in our eye partridge about Peter Willis. But carry on. Well, basically, um, I couldn't find because they say Peter Willis is a DJ. Couldn't find any DJs. But the editor of the Daily Mirror appointed in 2016 is a Peter Willis. Ah. So probably not based on him. No. In uh, eye partridge, uh, Alan says that Peter is now the Michelin-starred chef proprietor of Just Willis. Uh, Just Willis, but at the time of knowing me, knowing me, knowing you, was suffering his own psychological meltdown, which manifested itself as him appearing as a transvestite called Fanny Thomas he's sorted to himself out now okay <laughs> Armando says in the commentary that actually this character would be a good idea for a series so question to the group would you watch a Fanny Thomas series I think I'd probably know. watch a one-off special yeah. I was say, is there room for a cookery mockumentary the innuendo gets a bit much is doesn't it, it? yeah Gets a bit tiresome to use yeah. Alan's words. I know we're not going to go uh, in, down into a, 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 an eye partridge a rabbit hole, but there was just three key lines that um, I pulled out from uh, the chapter on Know Me, Knowing You, that I think kind of sum everything up yep. uh, in terms of where Alan's mind's at. Um, we owed it to Forbes to make the show. <laughs> I'm confident the Beeb wanted the show anyway. No. And I proved myself to be competent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that is a very yeah. neat summary, isn't it? Um, I thought it was quite ironic that uh, at the point that Fanny slash Peter gets too angry to make use of any innuendos, uh, that's the point that Alan meekly says, I want Fanny. <laughs> <laughs> 
sadly, the comic potential of that joke will never be fulfilled. Yeah. Um, we can probably move on to the punches now, I yeah, reckon. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the punches. Um, so I kind of I thought what I really like about this when Gordon says to him, "What do you do for an encore, Shagger Robin?" The look on his face—he's <laughs> yeah. he, literally him. decided, "I'm going to thump this guy." Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's, obviously the show's been a disaster from the moment it started. But although get- Alan thinks it's gone well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going well. This is the audience speaking, Tony. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think the guests have clearly lost all respect for him. It's, yep. cr- it's crumbling, isn't it? Uh, and uh, they just start to savage him. Yeah. So he deliberately punches Gordon Heron and then goes on to deliberately punch Tony Hare. Now, watching this uh, a few times that I have recently, I notice Fanny Thomas picks up a massive pepper mill from the table, like she's ready to use it there we go. to batter Alan yeah. on the pitch. So I think I, th- <laughs> I think Fanny thinks that Alan's coming for her next, basically. So she's ready to get stuck in for that. Fanny is handy, basically. Yeah, she's exactly. Ready to go. Um, so yeah, I just I thought that was a great little detail I hadn't picked up on until quite recently. There is some debate uh, about the bird that Alan uses when he punches mm. Tony Hare's in the face. I mean, it looks like a partridge in terms of size. Yep. It's, it's uh, relatively small, and that would make comic sense given his name. But then uh, David Schneider says in the commentary that this chicken didn't hurt at all. Uh, but but the smell my cheese uh, scene did in uh, I'm Alan Partridge because the fork actually went through the cheese and into his face. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, and we've also seen in the script that it's referred to as a turkey, so it is very much a mystery oh, yeah. bird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then Hare's responding to uh, being thumped by Alan. He says, "I'm going to make sure you never, never work in TV again." In it's cool. delivered in such a hammy way, isn't it? It's yeah. quite yeah. an convincing line. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alan just basically says, "I need help. I'll get help." <laughs> yeah. like, just desperate. Spoiler: Please Don't he take my chat away from uh, me. Uh, in I Partridge, Alan goes into a bit of a section about uh, is it ever wrong to smash a cripple in the face? They like that bit. Does that mean they agree? Well, I don't no, he basically uses Osama bin Laden as a reason to justify it. Wow. <laughs> anyway, I like That's that. That's a bit. reach. Uh, Rebecca Front's character, I like that she's so polite that when he says, Do you want some? she says, No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's very oh, good. That's um, very and good. then uh, r- rolling into the end of the show, yeah. it's it's another and on that bombshell, as we've heard many times from Naomi knowing you, and he says and and hoost is yeah. hoost the word. I, I, I think that's a genuine stumble over the words, isn't it? I think so. And, uh, Interestingly, in uh, every ruddy word, it does say hoost is hoost even a word. So I don't know if they fix that retrospectively in yeah. every ruddy okay. word. Uh, hoost is not a word according no, to the English dictionary. It's not. Uh, I did also note with the second punch of the potential partridge, turkey, chicken, whatever, uh, Hares is cold out on the floor and he remains passed out on the floor for the entire duration <laughs> of the show. Uh, and How realistic brilliant. is that? I don't know. Who knew a partridge, turkey, chicken could be so uh, <laughs> exactly. devastating? Exactly. And then quickly, just again in iPartridge, uh, Alan says, Hayes required emergency emergency dental treatment, which Alan was happy to pay for, and that Hayes was needlessly off with him in the days after the show. <laughs> <laughs> so unreasonable. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, so the show's fallen apart. It's another shambles for Alan, but uh, he's just got time to let everybody know that he's, he's told in his ear that Dr. Hook is not a qualified doctor. <laughs> so in case you were wondering, that is the answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're on to the real star of the show, Mick Hucknall. Yeah, the star <laughs> guest. Um, so, uh, if yeah, he is brilliant in this. Like You can see the scared expression on his face. That's some yeah. quality he re- acting he really, do- he really does try to act with his eyes, especially as Alan crosses his path, face yeah. in hands, kind of making a weird cooing noise. Yeah. Um, 
he's the only real celebrity ever to yeah. appear, isn't he? Yeah. In, uh, in, in, I'm, in the sorry, in a, a Naomi yeah. No You project. Lots referenced, but very few that we actually yes. see. Uh, lots of people accuse Mick Hucknall of singing out of tune in this bit, but uh, the cast claim that it's actually Glenn was playing out of tune. Oh. Glenn. <laughs> Glenn. Blame it on Glenn. Uh, they also say that Mick Hucknall has a picture of Rebecca Front and Dune in his study that was taken on this day. So, oh, okay. uh, well. a meaningful moment for Mick there. He's a big fan. Um, so, I took us through some Hucknall facts earlier. Should we return to some Hucknall facts? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Definitive. There we go. Um, so, uh, in a game that we'd all like to play with you all in the room tonight as well, it's time for a, uh, a game that has no nothing in common with Would I Lie to You. It's time for a game of Would We Lie to You. Yes. Jed, that should have been changed. That says <laughs> Would I Lie, not Would We Lie. Unbelievable. Anyway, just ignore that. It's got nothing in common with the TV show. Yep. So um, here we go. So, yeah, are you ready for some Hucknall facts? Uh, we will all give you a fact each. We'll recap, and then by the power of you guys making noise, we'll decide what collectively you think is the true fact. So, Adam. Mick Hucknall has never eaten a pear due to a rare allergic condition. Uh... Mick Hucknall had to cut off his dreadlocks after Martin McCutcheon was sick on them. Uh, Mick Hucknall has his own winery, which produces a red wine called Simply Red. And finally, Mick Hucknall of Simply Red is in fact colourblind and unable to see the colour red. <laughs> so just to do a recap there, uh, which of these facts about Mick Hucknall is true? Uh, is he allergic to pears? Did he have to cut off his dreadlocks after Martin McCutcheon was sick on them? Uh, does he own his own winery, which produces a red wine called Simply Red? Uh, or is he, in fact, colourblind and unable to see the colour red? So, how should we do this? Should we go? Uh, if I you think th let's, let's distill it down to pear, sick, wine, colourblind. Like it. <laughs> so, okay. if we could get a cheer for pear. About three people. <laughs> there. Sick. Yay! Quite popular. Wine. Yay! Also popular. Or colourblind. I think, I think, oh, I think it's between wine and sick, which is quite... Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. is, it time, is it time for me to reveal mine as it got the, the lowest cheer? Reveal. reveal. It's a lie. No Stab cares. reveal. Lie. Okay, so should we do a tie break? Is it wine or is it sick? Uh, make some noise for wine. Make some noise for sick. It's pretty even. Should we just do a big reveal? I, th I, th I think six edged it, but we'll do a reveal at the same time. Ready? Hey, there you go. It it's is Martin McCutcheon. Martin McCutcheon was sick in his dreadlocks and he had to cut them off uh, after that. So, oh, an interesting addendum. He does deny that, but I've spoken to somebody that knows that's true. So, yeah. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus info. We're prepared to go. Well, Tom Dark is prepared to go on the record. The rest of us <laughs> would like to add the word allegedly. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yes. So uh, I do mean allegedly. I just forgot. What else on this episode before we get to our very special guest? Well, there's just one very brief bit to wrap up at the end because this is included uh, in the uh, Everybody Word script book. You have Alan's Country Ramble at the end, which to me implied like it was aired as part of the original show. But actually, it turns out this was originally aired as part of Christmas Night with the Stars in 1994, hosted by Fry and Laurie. Uh, anyway, you just have... It's kind of like mocking, introspective documentaries. <laughs> um, so this is also on the, the Knowing Me, Knowing You, DVD as well and on YouTube and what have you um, so it's yeah basically Alan going rambling on his own on Christmas Day in Swatham I think uh, it's really, it is really funny but it has got a sort of tragic side to it once you know the context of Alan's family has essentially left him and isn't yeah. interested even when his family was with him they weren't interested yeah. in going on a ramble so he's off on his own and it's Alan trying to embrace nature but then he stood in, in, in some woodland saying somebody should clean up these leaves <laughs> and he goes on to talk about um, he says it's beautiful here but the nearest shop is over two miles away which 
which is a problem, um, and also proposes a series of vending machines in hedges. Um, so yeah, it finishes in a very molen- it finishes in a very melancholy style. Uh, he goes on singing "I'm a one man band" because he's literally on his own on Christmas Day, mm. and then walks off looking a little bit teary eyed into the distance. I, w- I would say this section and and the end section of "Know Me, Knowing You" are, are very are very melancholy and a bit a little bit tragic, aren't they? Yep. So yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. Real tinge to, tinge of sadness. This is a, a low ebb even for Alan. So, should we wrap up in yeah. summary? What are our quick thoughts about uh, "Know Me, Knowing You"? Uh, I think it's a wonderful episode. I think that it uh, it gets very dark, but it never stops being funny. I yep. think that uh, you guys are maybe a bit hard on the old Liz and Gordon Heron. I think that there's uh, some nice subtlety in that scene. Uh, basically, it's more partridge gold. It's, par- it's five partridge gold rings for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like it. I mean, yeah, I think for me, I could easily lose the Liz and Gordon Heron bit. I don't really care for that too much. But then the Christmas and Norwich bit is one of my favourite partridge kind of VT pieces. So, yeah, it is great. Just lose those five minutes. Yeah, I'd watch it uh, and do watch it every single year. I just appeal to Netflix to put the full version uh, up there. So, Are being- you listening to us, Netflix yeah. slash BBC? <laughs> yeah. And they're not. Yeah. Uh, IMDB, this is a rating of 8.3 out of 10 from 177 reviews at time of uh, publication. I don't know. Uh, and I'd probably go in line with that. I think it's good. Yep. Fantastic. And it is just weird that, um, that you know, there's just no mention of him shooting and killing a man live on air at, throughout this entire just show. Gloss over it. Just gloss over it. It's Christmas. Yeah, it's, um, fine. it's fine. Keep so it light. Keep it light. Anyway, that's the end of our, uh, our, our dissection and discussion and celebration of Knowing Me, Knowing You. Uh, it's time to introduce tonight's very special guest. Hi, listeners. Me again. So that wraps up the Knowing Me, Knowing You section of our live podcast recording. Thank you so much to all of those that bought tickets and made it down. We had an absolute blast doing it. And if you're listening to this, you've experienced it twice. Lovely stuff. Next week, we'll be back with the last episode in the current series, featuring our interview with Simon Greenall. If you weren't there, you won't want to miss this. Not only was Simon funny, but it turns out he's educational too. All will be revealed next week. See you then. Monkey tennis? It's knowing me knowing you with Alan Partridge. And Christ. Monkey tennis? Please, please don't take my chat away from me. The crackers on fire above the pool! Monkey tennis? My house is open, my mock-up house. Monkey tennis? That is, that is a very nice action. Oh, pardon! Monkey tennis? 300k. 300k I will take you to sky. Three years ago, hobnobs were probably the number one biscuit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 